Radio, your source for everything paranormal and beyond. The views and opinions expressed by the host and its guests do not necessarily reflect those of Para-X Radio Network, its affiliates, its sponsors, or Paranormal Universal Press, LLC. Paranormal Encounters podcast series is educational, entertaining, and intriguing. Be careful what you wish for. what you wish for. Ever get that feeling that something might be hanging around? Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Paranormal Encounters podcast series. The producer and host of this series is Dr. Kelly Renee Schutz. She will be joining you shortly. Before we meet Dr. Schutz, let me give you some background about her. She is a published author and academic, former legal investigator, and paranormal enthusiast who holds four advanced degrees in the area of higher education and applied communications with a secondary interest in parapsychology and life-after-death issues. Dr. Schutz travels to haunted locations all over the United States and Europe, seeking out situations to investigate. A sensitive intuitive, Dr. Schutz has had numerous experiences with the paranormal since the age of nine, with her most frightening and recent experience being an oval-shaped floor-length mirror cycling around in front of her in a haunted room she had stayed in. She has photographed apparitions in a screened window, been kicked up into the air, been sat on, choked, put into a trance, attacked, and continuously sought out by the unknown who want to share a message with her. From her personal experiences and in interviewing others, she has written nearly a hundred illustrated stories in her book series entitled Paranormal Encounters. The Paranormal Encounters podcast series will initiate with Dr. Schutz first discussing a variety of interesting topics, as well as her personal experiences that will evolve into other segments for your interest, enjoyment, and education. Each podcast episode will be approximately 45 minutes long. Dr. Schutz welcomes your questions and comments. How to contact her or ways to order her books will be mentioned at the end of this podcast. Whether you're listening at home, at work, or anywhere, thanks for making Para-X part of your day. Your source for everything paranormal, Para-X.
Good evening, everyone, and thanks again for joining me for another episode of Paranormal Encounters podcast series as published by Paranormal Universal Press, LLC. My name is Dr. Kelly Renee Schutz. I am the host and the producer of this show. Well, tonight we have yet another interview. This time, this interview is given by Ms. Kat Ward, who is the host and the producer of Paranormal Heart, and she is located out of Canada. I hope you enjoy the show. Stay tuned. Thanks, Kat. Thanks for having me. You're, uh, you seem to be very, very knowledgeable in the paranormal. So, um, and of course, it's a paranormal show, so that's right up my alley. Why don't you, would you like to start uh, a little bit about telling us uh, a little bit about yourself before we get into the, the meat and uh, potatoes of the show? Sure, no problem. So, you know, there's, uh, I've got such a lengthy, as they would say, biography of myself, that when people ask me to tell them a little bit about what I am or where I came from, sometimes I wonder what I am, by the way. But um, I usually kind of just give a mini background, and I'm going to give you a little little bit. I grew up uh, in a small rural town in Minnesota, and I, um, you know, went through my, my usual as a as a teen and a high schooler there, of course. And then I went on and did my college studies at a few different universities. Um, moved around within and outside the United States, living, you know, going with my husband to various jobs. And then we have actually lived in uh, Canada. We have in uh, Ottawa and also in Alberta, Maryland, Indiana for a number of years. And we're now back in Minnesota. But over the course of the years, I began educating myself in different types of degrees for various reasons. And of course, as I always told my college students um, that I, I taught, I said, you should always have plan B in mind because uh, you never know where you're going to end up and what you're going to keep doing in your life or how to reinvent yourself. So I kind of started out though with my interest was in human ecology which is the study of people and there's a connection between that now and my being a podcaster and very immersed into the paranormal which then I had no idea how valuable it would be to me now I have a couple master's degrees in management and communications and a PhD in post-secondary adult education as well as I worked in law as a paralegal 
and did some uh, undercover work. And so all that adds to the investigation part now for um, for what I do when I explore the paranormal. And so basically, I've worn many different hats, though, over the years in various different positions, and um, I'm now retired. So I'd call myself a retired college professor, paralegal, and an event owner, manager, and uh, now I put my energies into just being a paranormal enthusiast pretty much full-time. So that just kind of gives you a mini bite, cat, of um, where I've been and where I am right now. Well, How did you get into the paranormal? All right. You wanted to know what uh, brought me into the paranormal. Well, um, I would say that my experiences with the paranormal probably began around the age of nine. And you would say, well, what happened around the age of nine? Well, I was having, but didn't realize it at the time, um, a lot of uh, unusual anxiety and stomach aches and pains and feelings when I stayed over at my um, my grandparents' house. And the house was built, yes, in the 1800s. But I have to add a note here, since I've done this for nearly 50 years now, you don't have to be in an old house to experience a haunting. You can be on unsettled ground where a new development is and you can find your apartment or your townhome or your home there to be as haunted as being in a older home. But um, I would say that for me staying at my grandparents' house, I got a little unnerved every time. I had to stay there after school because um, um waiting for my mother to come pick me up um, from there. And sometimes they would not be home. And I hated it when they weren't home because um, I, that's when everything started. And so sensing these feelings or having this unusual gut feeling that I wasn't alone, I would turn up the television, turn on all the lights. I would sing loudly. And I would try to go take a nap on the couch just to try to pass the time away until they, until they got home. Well, there was one time, well, many, but one time where I heard some chattering going on in the kitchen. And I thought, um, well, how could they have gotten home without me hearing the door open? So I got up from the couch and I wandered myself all the way to the kitchen. And sure enough, as soon as I got to the door of the kitchen, there was absolutely nobody in there. And it was just dead silent. And I never forgot how dead silent it sounded because that was the point where I knew I was not imagining this stuff. There was something in there with me. And I usually took off all the time. Either I stayed out in the porch which was in, you know, really cold or hot weather, or I just left the house entirely. So that was, that was back in those days. And so I wanted to add an extra piece here, though, for you, Kat. When I was in my 30s, though, I decided to go back into that house to face my fear. Both my grandparents were now um, passed away, and I had to look at a box of stuff just to see if there was anything of interest. And it was upstairs in what we called the 
pink room. And if that doesn't set the scene of creepy, you know, pink color back in the day was normal color people used. But in our modern times now, pink is not necessarily the color people put on their walls. Well, if you can imagine going up a stairwell and at the top of the stairwell was a draft curtain that was pulled over to keep the draft from the second floor not coming down to the first floor. I had to first conquer walking up, and I was alone in my 30s. I walked up those stairwell stairways really slowly, and you could just feel your heart sink because you're staring at that draft curtain, right? And you knew you had to pull that thing back. Well, of course, you know, I kept telling myself, there's no boogeyman up here. Don't worry about it. Just pull it back and get up there and go into the room and look at the box. All right. So anyway, I just took a big, deep breath and I pulled that curtain back and I said, okay, that was not easy, but I continued on, went into the pink room, sat at the edge of the bed, probably no more than 15 minutes. I smelt something really deceasedly rotten, very sulfuric, very gross smelling. And I thought, well, there's something going on here, but I need to find this dead animal. All right. But what I found instead was a curtain. And the curtain on the window had a fire singe at its bottom. And I thought, this is very strange. But then I remembered a couple days before the house was actually hit by a lightning bolt. So it could have started from like uh, the electrical outlet and might have singed the curtain. But so it was as if something had stopped the fire. And then it was at that point where everything went into full force. I started feeling disoriented. I started feeling dizzy. I had headaches. Um, I felt so sick. I wanted to be sick. And I just, something was jabbing me in the stomach. And then I knew I wasn't alone in that room. And I took off running. And if you could imagine seeing a 30-year-old jumping and leaping down five steps at a time just to get down to the bottom and um, out of that house very quickly, that's when I knew that I wasn't imagining things when I was 9, 10, 11, 14 in that house. I knew something was in that house. So anyway, that's how I initially got into all of that, Cat, I know that you're uh, sensitive. Is that something that you grew up with, or did that develop with time? I would say that I didn't realize I was sensitive to the level of being um, psychically sensitive or being an empath until I started looking into this stuff, especially with my experiences, over time. And let me add something to that which will help clarify this a little bit more on how I started to blossom as a paranormal investigator or uh, experiencer, as they would say. So when I was 14 years old, my uh, dad, his home, which uh, he lived several miles away, but uh, and we rarely visited there because uh, of the distance. But I went to his childhood home. But it was around the age of 14, though, when we were there visiting once. I was outside and I walked the property and I said, you know, just, you know, walked around outside, you know, I was out in the country, 
you know, it was interesting. We hadn't been there in a lot. I wanted to kind of take it all in. And the house was um, built like a Victorian house. Um, it was like the premier house of the county, and it was of its time. So it was just a beautifully, beautiful house out in the country. All right. Anyway, I had walked around on the property, and I felt a little creeped out. Now, most people would say, oh, that's because it's unfamiliar. Um, you're just working this stuff up in your mind. Um, you know, disregard it. But I said at the time, you know, I really wish I could see a ghost. I really, really wish I could see a ghost. Everyone else says, oh, I've seen a ghost. And I th said, this property's kind of creepy. There's a feeling about it. And it's, it was, um, all built back in the late 1800s as well. And, and that's a beautiful house, but it's kind of, kind of creepy. And so long story short, it was on May 6th of 2007 when um, my grandparents both had passed away and a tornado had ripped through that property, but it didn't hurt the house or the barn or any of the buildings, just the trees were down. And I walked around taking some pictures just to make sure that there was no access to get into the house because, like I said, the grandparents were gone and the house was just sitting there empty for the moment and I was photo doing photographs and I photographed which I didn't see at the time I photographed um, some uh, apparitions that actually showed up in the upper window but in a screen window not a glass plate window but a screened window and I didn't realize this until I went to get my film developed think Thank goodness for negatives, because that's something that can't be changed. And um, mm -hmm. I said, what is up in that window? And how does a ball sit up in the corner of the window? This is very strange. They didn't have a ball for years sitting out anywhere. So anyway, when I blew up the picture on my laptop, lo and behold, there was a young girl around the age of six and a, an older man um, very clear, by the way, you can see all their features, um, staring right at me when I was taking that photograph. It was like he was looking at me and going, hmm, who are you? And she was looking at me going, hi, how you doing? Oh, and a big smile on her face. And as I looked at that picture, I thought, this is really something else because those are definitely apparitional faces showing to me. And then I went back to the house by myself. I stood out on the lawn. This this was like a day or two later. I went and I stood out on the lawn and I looked at the window. I didn't see anything show itself and I didn't the first time either. But I said, do you have a message for me? Because this is really shocking. And all I could hear in the back of my mind was, check the genealogy check your genealogy. And I thought, check my genealogy. Now keep in mind, I'm the genealogist for the most part in the family because I've done it for years. And it's very true. I misidentified this young lady in the genealogy thinking she was somebody else. That's now been corrected. And when I compared her image to the image that I had at the point where she passed away at the age of 10, um, it was a match. And as far as the older man was concerned, 
he is either or was my great-grandfather who built that house, traveling with her. Um, she died actually two miles down the road in another house uh, at the age of 10, but showed at the age of six. And he showed at the age in his 60s, but passed away around age 80. And so um, I, it, it was either him or it could have been her doctor. I looked up the doctor as well, by the way. I found an image of him, and it's a, it's a coin toss. It was either the doctor traveling with her or my great-grandfather traveling with her. So there you go, Kat. How's that for a starter, huh? Wow. And it doesn't sound like when you see things like this that it's that, that you're frightened. You, you you look at it from a point of view. It's like, wow, I need to find out more information about this. Um, I did, yeah, until I started delving into this stuff even more so, and now I'm a little bit more cautionary. But in the beginning, I was very intrigued, yeah. Yeah. I find the more you get into the paranormal, the more you're open and the more you start, um, it's almost like, the spirits or the entities, for lack of a better term, know that you're aware and they show themselves to you a little bit more. At least that's what I feel with my experiences over the past few years is the more you get into it, the more you're open, the more you see things. Yeah, in this case, though, I didn't see them, They, they but they showed on the... One of the things that I learned over time is that, and this is for your listeners too, is that you should always go back and relook at your photographs or your images probably a good up to a year because the, nothing might show at first and a lot of times they say oh you're just you're just face matrixing that's that's nothing in the window that's a a formation of leaves or this or that or dirt on the window no 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 i have to emphasize one more time this wasn't a window that they were looking at me through they were looking at me through a screen and they're clear as a bell and but the thing is is that they also have a facial matched very true when i ask people to look at the faces i say uh describe to me what you actually see now the first thing our minds will do is create a face all right because that's what we're looking for we're looking for something familiar um and uh but but i didn't know what they looked like at their death and that i was going to explain too People ask me all the time, well, why did she look like she was six and he looked like he was in his 60s? Well, that's very simple to explain now. Um, usually when someone passes away, usually, and it doesn't matter from what method, um, naturally or by suicide or whatever, a lot of times they will show themselves to you when they're most happiest in life or most healthiest in life. And then secondly, as they appeared to be recognizable. And so as we age, let's say we pass away in our 80s or 90s, our features are starting to change so drastically that a lot of times it's hard to determine what you're looking at per se. I'm not saying someone won't show to you at that age. I'm just saying that in this particular case, they showed to me at younger ages and for very good reasons. And um, and so that's part of it right there. But I have, I'm sure there are cases where they will show to you at a point where um, they were closer to death and, um, and their features might be still, though, recognizable. Does that kind of 
help you a little bit there, Kat, on on what you're yes, after. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, I've I've heard of some people say that, um, like a friend of mine, his daughter uh, is just starting to be sensitive, and in the apartment that they're living in, uh, she tries to not let her see as often as the entity appears because the um, entity has like a burnt face and doesn't want to. She doesn't want his daughter being afraid, right? Um, so th- it, you can you can be shown different states of their lives it's just it amazes me it really does like you could see them when they're at their happiest like you just mentioned or you can see them at their worst right and i wanted to add something that to that too so i have talked with a number of people um uh, as well and they for those that have actually seen apparitions that's correct the message that they're sending to you when you see them with a burnt face or a bloodied face, or you see them with whatever they, you know, gruesome, gruesome look, you know, we're even talking half their body or something is wrong with their, um, them in some way. The message that they're trying to send to you is a clue as to who they might be and what has happened to them. And so in this particular case with the young girl and the older gentleman, they died in, in decent appearances and natural states. But if she would have had, um, like say she was in a really bad car accident or something and, you know, something terrible happened with her body in the process, um, sometimes she might have showed without, without a head. I mean, that sounds a little gross, but it's true. I've heard, um, I know um, a gentleman who's an, uh, an EMT, which is like an emergency worker when people have accidents, and he has had numerous experiences seeing apparitions in various states because of the type of accident that they had. So I don't know. Personally, I would rather not see the horrific. I would rather see a quick glance. You know what I mean? So... Does this gentleman see them on the scene, or does he see them later? Um, he sees them both. He had an incident where um, he couldn't get one off of him. It was a young man. He was decapitated in his accident. He was cut in half. I know that sounds gross to your listeners. I'm sorry if this is a offensive. Um, but he had this young man didn't know where heaven was and didn't know he died and so once he figured out that he was kind of lost he attached himself to this emergency worker and there were times when he would feel this tugging down on one of his legs or something and when he would look down he would actually recall or see half of the body that he had to pick up off the road so i mean it's just like you know this is kind of horrific stuff here but um yeah but he also told me once and um i work uh i because i'm retired now i can do just about anything i want to do um of types of jobs and i work at um a state fair in minnesota and he was telling me the story once where um he was just looking out into the crowd and he noticed that there was this older woman that kind of looked a little bit out of place. 
Her clothes were a little bit aged and they looked a little bit different than what most people were wearing. And then he was just, he, he pointed this out to another person that was next to him at the time. And he goes, look over there. Doesn't that older woman look a little bit out of place? And then as they started studying the image or what they were seeing a little bit more, they noticed that um, she was uh, floating amongst the people in the crowd and um, and she was half-bodied and she looked like she was somebody from back in the later 1800s, um, you know, with just floating amongst the crowd. Now you're going to say, well, did the crowd notice her? No, but he noticed her and there's a reason for for why he might have become so sensitive as well. And the, and the magic word here is trauma. I mean, he's been through so many traumatic things that something uh, snapped in him over time where his abilities to see some of this stuff has actually strengthened too, where he can see things that nobody else can. So kind of interesting. That's very interesting. And something I've always wondered, and after you mention this, it makes me think, that perhaps my uh, idea is correct. When you said attachment, um, I've always believed that sometimes attachments weren't necessarily a bad thing. And that I mean that because the entity is attaching themselves to a particular individual because you're seeking help. Perhaps they know that they've passed on, or perhaps they don't know they've passed on, but they know something is, is off. And they see this person as a bright light, and they think, maybe this person can help me uh, figure out what the heck is going on. Maybe they can help me. If they do know they've, they've passed, maybe they can help them cross over. Maybe they have a specific message that they know this individual can pass on. Um, I've, I've always wondered that about attachments. Do you kind of feel that way as well? Well, I can tell you a little bit about attachments. Um, yes. All right, so let's see. About a year ago, I had 16 attachments removed from my body. And you're going to say, well, how do you know you had 16? I don't know. They, The person who removed them claimed I had 16 of them, but there was one attachment that was really stubborn. And this one apparently was someone, uh, this is coming from someone who had, who was very psychic and who actually has unusual abilities to be able to take attachments off of people. So I'm going to tell you a little bit here about attachments. Um, the one that's hanging around me yet, whatever it might be, is a, apparently one that uh, is, an, is a woman that is lost and she doesn't know how to depart. She actually likes hanging around me. But I also attract many attachments due to my frequency and my ability to communicate. Now, the other thing about attachments, which you have to realize, is that not all attachments are hanging out on people for the very reason that they they need guidance. Um, if someone is an alcoholic, for example, you might attract um, those deceased that are lost in this world that recognize your ability or your enjoying alcohol or drugs or something too much and they may attach to you just for the sense of um, experiencing what they experienced in life 
because it felt very familiar. But not, and so they, for that, I call them hitchhikers. For that reason, they hitchhike a ride on some of these people. In my particular case, I seem to attract around me um, those that seek people who appear rather confident, who seem that are very creative. People who are creative usually have a lot of attachments on them. For example, in Hollywood, I can't remember which which people I read about um, probably a year ago, but uh, when I was looking up this thing on attachments and, and trying to understand it more, some of these um, uh, movie stars they have, they can have as many as 90 attachments on their body. Now, again, I don't know how some people proclaim to know how many attachments are on anybody's body, but I will tell you that the people that I, that helped me to understand, they can make, these attachments can make a person physically sick. Okay. So I wasn't feeling really great, but what they did is, um, they, this is a couple that was in San Diego or that are in San Diego. They have a very special gift and the gift is removal, attachment removal. And I thought, ah, oh, bullharky, you know, tell me a little bit more about how, first I can't even see or feel these attachments on me. How can anyone else from, um, from 15 to 2000 miles away from me be able to help me get them off of me? Okay. Anyway, one night when I was lying in bed, this is no joke, and this is this really happened. It was before um, I interviewed them on my radio show. Uh, actually, the next day, I was told, at the point that we remove the attachments from you, we're not going to tell you when it's going to happen, but you will know when it happens. And so I thought, oh, geez, when is this magical moment going to happen, right? They're going to remove 16 attachments from me that they say are on my body, blah, 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 blah. Well, okay, so it was in the middle of the night, the night before I was to give their, um, the, do their, a, a podcast with them on my show, and all of a sudden, I unusually, never happened before, never happened since, I unusually was lifted up, I lifted my half body up, my mouth opened up, and it was like, and I don't want to be offensive to your listeners, but it, I can't describe it any other way. It was as if I was vomiting out gobs and gobs of air from my body. And it just went on and on and on and on. And I, I didn't wake up. I was in an unconscious, conscious state of being, knowing that I lifted up. It was very bizarre. And these things apparently were coming right out of me. And then the next morning, I felt a lot different. And I'm going to tell you, there are people out there that have unusual gifts. And I would never believe this at all until that experience happened to me. But attachments can be lost. They can feel lost. They might, if they're lost, they might feel they need to tag on to somebody who, um, that they're, they have a familiar trait or characteristic about them. Um, in my case, I attract a lot, but I don't feel them. And apparently I have a woman that's lost right now who just loves to hang around me. But anyway, that's what I know about attachments, Kat. I'm really glad you described your experience with the attachment because I've never heard it described that way. And I'm very thankful that you went into detail. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, 
I don't think anyone out here knows how many attachments they have to them. I do know that having a lot of attachments or several, especially, keep in mind too, when I was told that these, the people down in San Diego, they, um, they do a lot of attachment removal from Hollywood television, um, uh, uh, um, performers. They do a lot of that. Um, and what, but how they know how many are on a person, is actually baffling to me. So I could I couldn't tell tell your listeners how that's done, but um just know that all attachments aren't necessarily nice attachments. There there could be a variety of reasons as to why they're attracted to someone to begin with. Well, yeah, cuz the the most popular attachment that most people have heard of are the the uh, demonic attachments, but there are so many different types. Yeah, and here's one that that your listeners might find interesting. So when I was talking to these the San Diego couple who do this, I said, okay, I have something that has happened to me in the last three, four years here that I cannot explain. And I don't know if it's because of my inner voice or someone's talking to me or I'm being guided by something, but I said, once you remove these 16 attachments from me, would you please hold back the one that allows me to win jackpots and casinos over and over and over again? Because I have literally won, I kid you not, um, it was 13 jackpot casinos. In, In American terms, that's 1,200 American dollars and over, um, I don't know how that translates in Canada, but um, um, but in this a month ago, just recently, I just got back from Las Vegas again um, for other reasons that I go out there for, and I won three more, and it could have been four more. But I go to machines. I'm being directed to go to machines, sit down at them, play them for a while, and usually. Eight, I'm not going to say all the time, but eight out of 10 times I've picked a machine that's going to jackpot. So I've won 16 jackpots now, anywhere from 1200 US dollars to 10,000 US dollars in the last, I will say, since we turned the year in the last four years. So I asked the couple, I said, don't take away that attachment because that attachment's actually quite helpful. But anyhow. Yeah. That's a type of that I would want. Yeah. Yeah. Can you pick and choose the attachments to be taken off my body? I wonder if they can do that. <laughs> that would be, I don't, yeah, that would I don't, impressive. I don't think so. I, I mean, I felt like a clean no. slate the next morning, but when I won these three, almost four, what happened with the fourth one is I went to this machine right, right away. I mean, I don't bounce from machines. I just get directed to go to, and then I usually hear sit down and so then I sit down, okay. Well, what happened with this machine is I didn't have enough money to, uh, I ran out of money, but there was a gentleman that was actually watching me from behind, and I didn't see him preferably at first until I thought, oh, I should, I need to go because I know this one's going to hit. There's a reason why I'm sitting here. And as soon as I got up to go and get a little bit more cash just to bring back to that machine, he had won the jackpot within like maybe five or six spins. And um yeah, my knees went weak. I felt sick. I was yeah. angry and upset. I went to the restroom to try to um compose myself. I walked back out there 
And then the next machine that I was on gave me a jackpot as well. So the IRS loves me here in the United States. I mean, it's ticket after ticket after ticket, but um, who knows what will happen this year? Who knows? Who knows? Wow. Well, I hope you win. I hope you keep winning big. I hope that one monetary attachment is still with you. Yeah, I don't know. They can be good and bad. Sometimes they um, they mess with your energy, and they um, they can actually make a person physically sick. So it's not like yeah. you want to have attachments on you. Do you investigate? Do you still investigate? First of all, well, okay. So that's a good question. Um, since two thousand and seven, I started pretty when the apparitions showed in the window. Um, the uh, I went at this full force. I went to when we when we had time i went to many haunted no knowingly haunted bed and breakfasts and i said well if there's a haunted situation in here i should know it by the time we leave because something they spoke to me and i heard them telepathically so they you know and they were right about the genealogy da 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 so i'm going to see if i can put this to the test and so I went at this pretty big time, but I'm going to throw in my big old butt now. So I did this a lot, and that's what afforded me the opportunity to have over 100 experiences and 10 books on Amazon, by the way. Um, but we need to throw that in. I went to Wales. My husband and I went to Wales a few, just a few years ago, and it feels like forever because I do so much in my life that time just feels like it goes back further and further. But anyway, it, this was uh, a haunted bed and breakfast in Wales that was known to have over 12 apparitions of various ages floating around in their building. And when we arrived, I mean, I had made my reservation and I told them what I wanted. I said, I want to be in the most haunted room that you have in here because I'm doing a book and I want your story to go in the book. Nope, we can't put you in the most haunted room. Why not? Why can't you put me in the most haunted room? Because it's it's too scary for people, and they usually don't stay in there more than 20 minutes. Good, great. Put me in the most haunted room. All right, so they didn't. They put me in the second most haunted room. All right, so this place when you walk in was probably, I can't remember, eight or 900 years old. Let's start with that. It was not a castle. It was a structure within a town knowing to be haunted. The whole town was haunted, basically. I can't even remember its name anymore. Um, and we, as we went upstairs to go to, you know, there's no elevators. As we went upstairs to go to this room that they were going to bring me to, I literally walked through an electrical field where my whole body just exploded with electricity. And at that point, I actually saw the, uh, and she's in my book, by the way, I saw the face or half face of an apparition uh, literally rush like around a corner. I saw her. And, and so did the other gal that was bringing us to the room didn't. But long story short, I saw her and she is in my book and she matches the picture perfectly. But when we got to the room, and she opened it up. She's, there was just this really dreadful, sick feeling in there. And keep in mind, I had been doing fairly gentle investigations up to that point in various places that kind of unsettled me a little bit and made me a little bit nervous and scared and whatever. 
But this place actually changed my mind about how I do investigations. So um, there were a number of things that happened while we were there. We were downstairs eating. Um, they, the manager came to us and said, could we have your key? The apparition in that room won't let us into the room. I thought it was kind of a like one of these carnival tricks that they were trying to play on a person's mind. Um, went back into the room eventually because uh, the reason why they had to go into the room was there was a light bulb that was out and I needed it replaced. I wanted the white the light bulb working, and so apparently you have to ask permission to go into this room and um, and be very nice about it. Otherwise, you're going to regret your experience. When we went back up after dinner, um, there are handprints on my pillow. I thought, my husband said, oh, they're just putting them on your pillow just to scare you. I thought, yeah, it's possible. But I said, I'm not done with this room yet. There's something that I'm feeling in here, and I'm not quite sure what it is, but it feels very dreadful to me. It was at the point where we were going to bed, where my husband threw the holy water and was doing a prayer that this floor-length Victorian mirror started, kid you not, cycling around in front of my face. And it was kind of like it went kind of like back and forth with the shoulders, nah, 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 nah. And then it went woof, woof a couple times, and I just froze in absolute terror. And what had happened with my husband at that point is he he was immobilized um, like in a trance. So it was like what it did is it put him in a trance and it allowed me to endure this traumatic, unbelievable, never thought I'd see anything like it in my life, movement of this this floor-length mirror cycling around, and I went into an extreme panic attack. Now, we couldn't leave. They had already told us that many people come downstairs to sleep on their couches at night when they hear people knock on their door, they hear children outside their door, whatever. And I I was determined to not run out of that room because you have to understand this was a 900-year-old building with a maze. I would not have been able to find my way back down the appropriate stairs to get to the um get to the to the lobby um i would have been lost literally and so i freaked out he my husband came out of his trance he said i'm going to bed now and i said did you not see that he goes see what it it literally happened right next to him so long story short i felt this thing whatever it was hover over me all night long it was ice cold. I felt it sit on my knees and my legs. I felt, I f- just felt it everywhere in that room. And I begged to just please not hurt me. And I was begging and I had one of those black masks on, you know, that people wear sometimes when they need the shield. And I just kept feeling this thing. And I said, I just don't want to see you. I said, I just don't because, oh, so in the morning, the wardrobe that was next to me that also had a mirror on it was open. The mirror, by the way, just to share a little bit more about this story, I couldn't get out of there fast enough, but I didn't didn't really get out of there fast enough. The manager brought me back up into the room at the point that we were checking out, and she saw how miserable I looked. And I said, "Thank you. I got my I got my story." And then she says, "Can I bring you back up there? I need to ask you a question because I was telling her about the mirror." So what happens is every time her maid staff 
is cleaning the room and they're bending over with their vacuum to vacuum the floor. This mirror, what it does is it likes a particular position. It picks its, um, it picks itself up and it literally on purpose bumps the maid staffs in the rear end. And it does that just to, to, to be a jokester. But she said that it happens Every time she bends over in that area, the thing will lift its mirror up and it'll smack her in the butt every time. And she said, she said, how do I ask this thing or whatever to stop doing that? I said, well, ask it to stop doing that or take this mirror and position it in a way where it can't, it cannot, you know, it'll have to fight to move itself. So we had a long discussion about the stuff in that room and, um, I was forever grateful for the story, but ever since that point, I pick and choose my situations to go into to do many investigations. I don't usually have to seek this stuff out anymore. If I go into any building that is perceived to be haunted, it will come to me. And I'm now starting book 11. I don't get out much now during the pandemic, but when I do and I'm in situations... I will note them, I will try to figure out their message, and then I will write about them. Did that did that help clarify this a little bit for you, Kat? Yes, it did. I would absolutely love to visit buildings that are that old. I have not, not yet I haven't, but that's on my bucket list. Also because I love the architecture, not just because I'm looking for haunted locations, I love architecture. Yeah, so do I. I do too. I, 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 Honestly, it's just, if you can get a chance, if you ever get a chance to go over to Europe and you go over to Wales, um, it doesn't even matter where you go. The The place we went after that, we went out to the countryside to, um, it wasn't even that old. I mean, it was old, but it wasn't 900 years old. They had 80 dogs that um, they used to, the person who owned the property back in the day, had um he was a hunter so he had hunting dogs but he had 80 of them and he had buried all 80 dogs on that the hunting dogs on that property they literally had their own tombstones they all did well i had an experience the day after too and i i will tell you after you've been through a frightening experience like that and then you're in another haunted building where there's things happening and being pointed out and then you're trying to go to sleep and you feel what feels like an animal crawling on top of your legs on your bed. You just about have had enough of investigating for a while. But I have been in all kinds of situations. And so, and again, like I kind of mentioned earlier, you don't have to be in a, I love architecture, by the way, love it. You don't even have to be in an old building to have it be haunted. You just have to understand what you're in, who was in it before, what land you're on, what kind of what kind of um, limestone or um, gravel stone or whatever you want to call it um, is underneath you. You have to if you will start understanding a lot of these other things that electrify and bring to us these images because of the electrification in the air or whatever that helps to manifest this stuff too. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, I get a lot of people that say, I don't know why my place is haunted. Um, there was no building here before we built. Uh, I don't know why that hotel is uh, haunted. You know, there was nothing there before. And it's like, well, it's not the age of the building like you had mentioned. It could be 
something happened on the land. Uh, perhaps you bought a an antique, or someone who had negative energy could have walked through that building and just you know the residual negativity or whatever is still in that building. So there's so many reasons as to why a person is getting activity. I thought this would be a really good spot to make the cut on part one. And I appreciate very much your hanging in there listening to some of these stories over and over again. Uh, One thing that I noticed in this interview as compared to other interviews is that once in a while I will throw in some additional details that I may have forgotten to discuss or talk about in past episodes. So a lot of times, too, it's really good to have somebody ask me mind-jarring questions so that way I can also bring into the story some of the facts or the interesting pieces that you haven't uh, perhaps heard before. Part two is just as interesting. It's a little bit shorter. I believe it's going to go probably about 36 to 45 minutes. And then, of course, we will finalize this interview. As always, and of course, I appreciate very much you listening to Paranormal Encounters podcast series as published by Paranormal Universal Press, LLC. I hope to bring you some more interesting interviews, discussions, and whatever comes to life as we move forward in our journey this year. Thank you so much. Take care and head on over to part two. Good night. Thank you for joining us this evening. Dr. Schutz welcomes your emails and paranormal stories. Visit her website at www.paranormaluniversalpress.com for contact information or go to Amazon.com to view her books, searching under Paranormal Encounters. Thanks for listening. Take care. And until next time, be careful what you wish for. The script, vocal talent, and music compositions in this podcast program are copyrighted. As a disclaimer, this podcast episode or parts thereof may not be reproduced, reposted, or transmitted in any form without the express permission from the producer and company, Paranormal Universal Press, LLC, or Para-X Radio Network. Any opinion or claim made in any podcast episode by the host or guest does not necessarily represent the viewpoints of Paranormal Universal Press, LLC, Para-X Radio Network, or its sponsors. Properties mentioned in any podcast are publicly known to be haunted or have been discovered to have unexplained occurrences. If you are a ghost seeker, please take precautions and respect people's properties by not trespassing.